Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things podcast. Today we're letting uh, Noah Baumbach do the spoiling for us as he spoils uh, Don Delilo's white noise, but we'll get to that. Um, I am Stephen and joining me as always is Vaughn. How you doing Vaughn? I'm good. It's uh, it's another weird uh, recording time this week. <laughs> yes. As our, as our typically hours. our schedules are hard to to line up. So yeah, late night for uh, me, early morning for you. Vaughn is up too late. I am up too early. <laughs> um, so it's, it's it's an interesting time. So we're going to talk about um, Noah Baumbach's White Noise, um, which I was waiting to reread the book to watch the movie so i read the book in 2017 and absolutely adored it um but it fell out of memory i mean actually i was talking to jack off off podcast um at the end of a recording session and i was saying that i was quite surprised when white noise was announced was like talking about it because they announced white noise they said no band was directing it and people were like is that weird and i was like no, that makes sense to me actually i was like you know that that seems like the right kind of director for this project because white noise is fundamentally about like insecure elite white people and their problems that overwhelm them and their crippling fear of irrelevance and death. And I was like, that, 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 oh, that's what that's it's what about. Okay. I... I was like, <laughs> yes. And, I, and which is weird because as I keep I'm say so much, the film is not about the key, the key. I mean, the book is a book about death. It is about right. a overwhelming, like lingering obsession with death as part of the human condition. I don't think the movie sells that at all. The movie no. is just like this, like, bland consumerist satire and those bits are in the book but they are not they're not why the book is brilliant the book is this really locked in this character's head interior vulnerable struggle with i am terrified of dying because the idea of nothingness is so overwhelming and it's all about different people and their like struggles with death and like that is the and the, the structure is so important it's so precisely structured which is why the films work for me because it's in taking bits out of order, you have this build of like, oh, that happened before that, and then that comes before that, and that builds up this little motif of like death obsession that goes throughout and throughout and throughout. Um, so, and then people start talking about the the movie about how it's massive budget and a science fiction movie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, what? And I'd forgotten that in the middle of the book, there's this huge, almost apocalyptic moment, and I was like, that's the middle of the book. Yeah, yeah, the middle of the book. So oh, there's, okay. there's about there's about a hundred pages of amazing setup of just family, of just this family, just just being family, of lots of great moments of learning about um, Jack and and Babette and their their, their fun children who are ridiculous, um, Denise and Heinrich especially. But Wilder is great. Wilder's best moment is certainly not in the film. It's right at the end of the, right at the end of the book, and it's kind of like the the climax of the book. Alas, no. Um, and then there's the event happens. And then it's after the event. And in the book, I would argue the event is completely incidental. It's just this thing that happens as another way of catalyzing this like theme about death, of this idea of like it, it puts death within Jack, so therefore it's what right. he deals with. And it's also the book's kind of obsession with the banality of existence, that nothing really happens, that this like life-shattering, life-altering event happens. It doesn't really do anything apart from, like, cause a bit of, like, malaise and, like, inconvenience. I think so much of the book is about the overwhelming, the ridiculous happens all the time, and we're just so numbed to it. There's this quote I was reading recently from someone that said, I can't remember who it was, it was this idea of, like, you should, like, go to, which was reflected by this book, actually, and reflected by the film, of, like, visiting a supermarket without the lens of habit would drive you mad, this idea of, being like, it's such a surreal, overwhelming experience. And I think the yeah, book, yeah. and the film to an extent, is very much about the 
we live in this like completely dystopic dispassionate world that the end of the world is already kind of like normalized that when it happens and what um and then reading the book learning that that was like incidental i was just like okay it's not really science fiction and then i feel that the only thing the film really does well is the literalization of that central big moment which is so not what the book is about but we'll get to that that's 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 white noise in my history of it um You've not read White Noise, but you do like Noah Baumbach. What's your Noah Baumbach background? Yeah, I do like him. So I've seen not as many as I'd like to have seen, um, but um, I think the first one I, I saw was Marriage Story when that came out, and really, really, okay. really loved Marriage Story. Um, kind it of is, like is fantastic film. Yeah, it came out just like kind of a, like the the right time, and kind of like met things that I was thinking about, and very, very fantastic film and then actually it was pretty recently that i finally watched um francis ha which is also phenomenal um, fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. and that's one that like since i watched it um a couple months ago now like i've been liking it more and more in my head since i mm. watched it um so at some point i'll probably revisit it and like it even more um and i've okay, been I... wanting to watch more of his but i haven't gotten to them yet i've seen more of some movies than i thought i have i've seen so he's any I only directed 14 films and I've seen nine of them. Um, I really like Noah Baumbach. Really, really like. Um, Squid and the Whale, I think, is just phenomenal. One of, it was like an, an early favourite of watch, watching that yeah, yeah. Um, at, at the right time and, and really, really adoring it and really, I don't know, seeing myself in it in uncomfortable ways is the thing that I like sometimes. I'm yeah, like allowing a bit, of crit- sure. a, bit, a bit of critical self-reflection. I'm like, oh God, I am I am that irritating. Um, <laughs> and Meritz Chronicles story, sorry, I thought was, was brilliant and has a, has a, a good Adam Sandler in it. Um, we like to talk about good Adam Sandlers. He's great in that. And in Adam general, Sandler. the Baumbachian kind of like... I, I've said this in other podcasts, but I'm often looking for the Woody Allen-style film that's not made by Woody right. Allen. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> no, yeah, so, I that. so I can enjoy that style of film. So I, I, I do like, though it is, I shouldn't, these explorations of the, the neurotic, educated middle class. Um, or upper middle class, this idea about these people that just like yeah. bounce around cities in their own heads, need a lot of therapy, and have these kind of like overwhelming, kind of like existential and quite academic crises. And I, I kind of enjoy that as a, as a plot structure, even though I should not. Um, interestingly, so here's a fun thing. So I looked at my Goodreads for White Noise, but I read it in 2017. And I don't often post something on Goodreads, but I did for White Noise Ooh, right near the end. I did. Um, it's because I just read a book before it that I didn't like that much, which is Naomi Alderman's The Power, which I was expecting to like and didn't particularly. And then read this, and I was like, I'm really glad to like be really blown away by something. I've been a bit disappointed. Yeah. And the comment I made in 2017, and I was a, a less, a very less kind of like filmically aware in 2017, is I said, this would make a great Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I think that... In my head, that seems more fitting, especially seeing yeah. the, the final um, Baumbach product. I, I think Wes Anderson would lean more heavily into what I imagine, at least, is like the kind of constructed, stilted nature of it. Yeah, um, so it it is a very stilted book in terms of dialogue, but... I'm going to keep saying this every time we talk about adaptations. The reason novels work and the reason novels work as an art form is because they are so good at capturing interiority. Right. Because they can really place you in everything. And films are really good at capturing ambiguity 
and like the gaps between things. So film's really good at capturing the externality of someone and allow you to fill in the gaps, and that's going to be very, very powerful. Um, books don't do that as well because the space for ambiguity is, is, is not right. in the same way because it's not really visual language. And White Noise is a book about outward projection being very, very different from interior realities. Um, and because you do have the constant writing from Delilo, which is beautiful and really, really effective and really very vulnerable. And then you have characters saying ridiculous things the whole way through. So you either lean into that completely and you make it this affected hyper world, this theatrical world, which I think Wes Anderson would work with. And this yeah. doesn't quite do. No. Um, or you make it more, dare I say, like Cassavetes-y. You make it just like more kind of like more independently spirited, more kind of like don't have the big brash scenes in it. Have it yeah. be like the stripped down, like raw portrait of people, which is, is more what the book is. Um, so I presume you have one piece of interact with Don DeLillo, yes? I don't think so, unless you're going to you tell not, me that have, I have. Have you not seen Cosmopolis then? Oh, that's true, I have. Yes, yes. Yeah. I didn't um, realize that was you... also his book. Yes, and okay. does that now not surprise you? No, that makes perfect sense. So and and that's that's Don DeLillo is is that kind of like post that's his postmodern voice of just like this dystopia is in the central right. of society like falling apart. There's like portraits of people that either say what they mean directly or don't say anything at all. And Cronenberg is so good at like capturing the weirdness. I've not read Cosmopolis. I've read quite a lot of DeLillo, and I do love DeLillo. Um, I would I would recommend White Noise. Okay. Um, I do think you should read it. I would also recommend Mal 2, which is a fun book. <laughs> um, um, and Underworld is absolutely brilliant. Um, he's, he's a really fabulous writer. Um, but mm, I've got some questions about the the film from you. Just, yeah, so I, think, having... I think the film is terrible. Um, not terrible. I just think it's bad. Um, my first question is, what do you think about the main character, Jack? So this is interesting. So you posed this question to me before yeah. i rewatched it i rewatched it just a few hours ago this evening um while i was waiting for you to wake up <laughs> um it's true true i was asleep but you had posed this question to me so i was thinking about it while i was watching it and i think in memory i had an idea of who this character was and then when i was watching it i realized that maybe my idea of that character was exclusively built by like other people's reviews and synop like the synopsis of the film that i'd read because then yeah. I'm watching the film and I'm just looking purely at the text of the film and I'm like, he has, there's very little character to him in the mm. film at all. I don't really know what defines him. There are moments where people kind of state what defines him, but I don't think that he's characterized in any way that I actually get that from him. I mean, he states that his thing is that he's scared of death but you never really get that yeah. from his character he's i mean obviously the whole thing is that he's the hitler expert but it's, <laughs> it's like is, just okay. it's, it's a great thing the book is so is so brilliant <laughs> of just like the the college on the hill and like hitler studies and he's made that his own um the film doesn't really get to like his struggles with german as well that much like you see it earlier as like a thing but like the book really goes into this like this this kind of like fraud complex that he has throughout being like yeah that he speaks no german at all and cannot speak german and takes german lessons um with this strange teacher and at the end when he gives that speech in german that's not like a cross-cut thing like it is in the book. Like that's such an, in the film. That's such an important moment in the book. And one of the funny things in the book is it talks about how in his speech 
he carefully makes the speech almost nonsense by focusing on words that are almost the same in English as German so he knows that he can actually say them. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, for me, Jack Gladney, um, the key thing of him is he is incredibly neurotic. He is just like this complete facade of a person that is like one step away from like completely falling apart at every point. And that is the entirety of that character. Yeah, you Do don't you, get that Did at you all. get... no. Because I didn't think so. I was just like, who is this person? In fact, I felt like the opposite more than anything. Like, especially when they yes. have the quote unquote, I think they even refers to it as like their big dialogue that, that he has with Babette. And he's like so <laughs> calm the entire time. And it's this big, serious conversation that like ostensibly he would be reacting more, you know? I don't know. Like, there's, you get so little from him in that scene. And like, if you're just watching it, you know, devoid of that context of like this character should be more like neurotic and you know caught up in himself. It's, you it's because it's entirely internalized. It's because like the the projected Jack Gladney is so different from the one that you you, you read of his thoughts. Right, and that's which you what can't the character get is, the from... is really interesting. Yeah. So there are two bits. Um, one that I'll read directly, and one that I want to reference. So the the bit towards the beginning is a really good bit in the book where he talks about plots and he goes on to that thing about being like, someone asks about a plot of Hitler and he makes this kind of like off the cuff thing about all, 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 all plots, plots go death, death or yeah. um, which, which is, which is a, is a, is a fun train of thought, but it's also quite pompous. And then that, that ends a scene in the film, in the book that ends with him being like, what was I even, in his head being like, did that even mean anything? Do I even believe that? What am I talking about? That's just a thing See, that, that I said. Why did I say that? Oh, yeah, that makes so much more sense because I feel like there's so much. I feel like the film has so many of these like trains of thought where it like starts an idea and then it never really, it just kind of leaves it. It's just putting all these things that I presume are like, yeah. like you're saying, like little segments of the book, but it's not, yes. it doesn't have any way to pay any of them off. Like it starts with this, this whole lecture about like the car crashes that's and it's a way that's deep into the into the book and it's <laughs> like it's a good lecture like i like that that speech that he gives but it doesn't really you know go anywhere in the film and that same thing like that he's talking about the the plots and everything like it doesn't really i mean the ending sort of but lot, there's so many ideas that that get started up and then just kind of are there and the reason is because most of the film is out of order of like it's just these shuffled little it's 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 one of those adaptations where everything in there is in the book, and apart from the ending, which is completely different, which beguiles me. Um, so weird. So like everything there is 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 in the book, but in a slightly different order or from slightly different characters in a way that's just like, it, it, White Noise feels like a book where nothing really happens. But the more and more you think about it, the more you realise it's so immaculately structured as a thematic build of ideas, right. and the things work because what's happened beforehand. So when you get to that that speech about cars you've had earlier speeches about cars there's been other things about cars in it um and it makes sense where it hits and there's just so much like that in this in this movie that's just like yeah. oh i recognize that bit from the book and it really works in the book and there are lines all the way through that i i, I laugh most pages of reading this book i think it's hilarious and the movie i just sat there kind of like, like yeah that's a good line some of it's delivering i'll get to adam drives performance because i think that he is just <laughs> he is terrible in this movie he, I, well, I, I forget to, it's, he's so stagey he says every line like he's walking around stage and just like pontificating it as if it's just like from a script and I kind of get that dialogue feeling from everyone for me was how I felt yeah, watching it is, no, is it's just like I could I could tell that 
the dialogue was basically just lifted straight from like a written you know book and i was like it doesn't it doesn't just doesn't translate in that way that i that i think that they maybe hoped it would which is i think they've got to like give it a manic quality because i right. think there is a manic quality to, to the book like Dundalilo has that kind of like um that pinchiness quality that they're they're quite similar writers in that way that everything just being like heightened and manic and weird and it's presented as if it's more shakespearean as if it's more like theatrical yeah, yeah. in like in like the grander kind of like literary tradition as opposed to people, people like people should be talking really, really fast and saying strange things and talking like this the whole time and occasionally side characters are doing that and it really really works and some of the conversations in that lunch hall i feel the rest of the characters yeah. i really like those bits because i'm just like that's how the book sounds where they're like where were you and blah 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 and talking about someone just died Did they just die have they died and like you sound brilliant i'm not brilliant Everyone's brilliant around here. I'm brilliant because I'm a neuroscientist. And those, uh, I think, are some stuff. of yeah. Those are I think are some of my favorite scenes in the movie. I do think that like the I am much more interested in the supporting cast. I think Don Cheadle's great. I think like Andre Three Thousand's great. <laughs> like there's all these great little side characters that I think are doing having much more fun than uh, than our main cast is. So I want to read a bit that for me kind of like captures Jack's character, and it's a very short bit. Um, but is totally glossed over in 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 the book in the film. Sorry. So, wh- what's his name? Uh, Jack. You mean? Oh, it's like I've already forgotten somehow. I, I know it's like initials, but so it's and is it's it a J-A-K fun joke. But... Gladney. Yeah, J A K Gladney. It's really, it's really funny. Um, and the idea in the book, and it, it explains why he's called that. Um, so, and I'll read you out the bit because it, it is really good. Um, so, it was my own formal custom on Fridays after an evening in front of the TV set to read deeply in Hitler well into the night. On one night, I got into bed next to Babette and told her how the Chancellor advised me back in 1968 to do something about my name and appearance if I wanted to be taken seriously as a Hitler innovator. <laughs> Jack Gladney would not do, he said, and asked me what other names I might have at my disposal. <laughs> we finally agreed that I should invent an extra initial and just call myself J.A.K. Gladney, <laughs> a tag I wore like a borrowed suit. The Chancellor warned against what he called my tendency to make a feeble presentation of self. He strongly suggested I gain weight. He wants me to grow out into Hitler. He himself was tall, paunchy, ruddy, jowly, big-footed and dull. A formidable combination. I had the advantages of substantial height, big hands, big feet, but badly needed bulk. Or so he believed. An air of unhealthy excess, of padding and exaggeration, hulking massiveness. If I could become more ugly, he seemed to be suggesting, it would give my career... It would help my career enormously. So Hitler gave me something to grow into and develop towards. Tentative as I have sometimes been in an effort. The glasses with thick, black, heavy frames and dark lenses were my... I had a seven page there. My own idea. An alternative to the bushy beard my wife of the period didn't want me to grow. <laughs> Babette said she liked the, the series J.A.K. and didn't think it was attention-getting in a cheap sense. To her, it intimated dignity, significance and prestige. I am a false character that follows the name around. That I mean, just that right there, I get such a clear idea of of why the the film just doesn't work. That's not the film, <laughs> right? Like... It's not at all. I mean, you don't even get there's there's never any real introduction to why his name is that. It's they just tell you that's his name, and that he is a constructed character right. that is just like living out this way. And, and why the book is brilliant is because that that's a chapter end, and the chapters always end with these like beautiful statements like that of being like. I am a false character that follows the name around. That's such a beautiful, like, little gut punch of being like, oh, well, that's that's really sad. And the the book has that all the time, and it just it uses chapter breaks so cleverly. 
and the film was just like here's a good bit here's a good bit here's a good bit yeah it just it i mean and it feels that way like especially i i I didn't love it but i kind of vaguely enjoyed it i guess the, the first time i watched it and i didn't think it was great but i didn't think it was bad but this time watching it i feel like I can see through it a lot more, and I, I yeah. actively would say I did not enjoy it this time. But because I, I think there's nothing to it, like, yeah, there are no interesting really ideas. It's you can really tell, I think, if you're if you're kind of looking for it, that it is exactly that. It's just like a collection of these ideas, but it doesn't seem to have any understanding of what they mean. It doesn't have to, any understanding no. of like how to cohesively put those ideas together and actually say something about them and so if you're looking at it you can kind of piece things together in various stages in the film of what it's maybe trying to get at or at least what the source material might be trying to get at but it's never executing it in a way where i can go okay that's actually meaningful it's just kind of there it's because everything is telegraphed in the book but you don't realize it exists as telegraphing and and it's so beautifully done in that way of so a thing that I referenced to you yesterday, which is, I'll say friend of the show, um, Nick Fulton, because, you know, a friend of all of us, but I'm not sure if he listens. I listen to his podcast and he mentions <laughs> me occasionally. Um, but um, mentioned in, in his review of it about an absolutely wild side plot in the book, which is the, um, so first of all, they, they mentioned another side plot at the beginning that Heinrich is playing chess with a with a serial killer in prison <laughs> and like that's that's obviously a thing and that, that again is this this morbid fascination with death yeah. that, that overhangs over it and then one of heinrich's friends is just doing this thing for no reason but that he's young of he just wants to sit in a cage with like 30 or so completely venomous snakes for an extended period of time to be in a record book and jack's just like why aren't you scared to die and he's like oh, i'm not gonna die I'm not gonna die. I know what I'm doing. I'm training, and he just talks about all the pros are going for. So he he's he weans himself on all kinds of things. He practices sitting, blah blah. blah. He's allowed to like go to like the zoo and be like near them. And what it culminates with is the authority saying, "No, we can't let you do this. This is not a thing that you're allowed to do. You can't just sit." <laughs> in a cage of snakes that will kill you so he has to do it underground instead he has to find some hotel that will allow him to where he can just like secretly (laughs) just like smuggle snakes into a hotel this is all reported being like this is a thing that just happened you're like what is going on so he smuggles snakes into a hotel or something similar um but he's not allowed to use the, the real snakes because they would kill him right and about about a minute in he just gets bitten (laughs) And like that's and that's that's the payoff. He's like he spent all right. this time, blah blah, and then yeah, bam, done. And and then Heinrich just refuses to talk to him anymore. He's like it's a disappointment. Like it just and they had all this anti venom ready, and it was pointless because they didn't realize the snakes were actually like they didn't give them the proper snakes because the snakes would have killed him. <laughs> I mean that what you're saying makes so much sense to have like be weaving all of these side stories that that add into this idea um, of this fascination with death and all this stuff but like the the film doesn't have time for that stuff and because it's a film and you have to have you know a, a, a central narrative to build it around and it has to have these yeah. two main protagonists and it's like so it, they just kind of have to keep telling you that people are worried about death but it doesn't work in the same way you're not weaving this like universal unease in the, in the same way that you need to and I find the dialogue stuff in the book really quite chilling as like this idea of like a thing that that's been invented to what's the thing that can cure is cure the fear of death. And I think that's such a great idea. Um, and 
it's it's put in way earlier in the film than it is in the book, and I think that's a problem as well. Okay. Of like you build up to this idea of because and, and that's when you realize oh this book's just about death, isn't it? And that's why the book is called White Noise, and they keep talking about that that that's what existence is. That death is kind of just like there's just this static, yeah, this it eternal static. Barely makes sense as the title for the film. I think if you just watch the film without knowing anything about the book, like I understand it now because you have told me, but like if I just watching the film, I don't get any idea of like why it's really called that there's not a good link there the gun bit is wrong as well and it's really annoying because it doesn't make sense why don cheeto's character would give him a gun don cheeto's character does not give him a gun his father-in-law who is this just like this you know that bit in fablemans where judd hirsch just turns up and just like steals the movie for yeah. like a minute that's like that and what like the father okay. turns up it's just that this wild larger than life character who is just talking about how he doesn't need sex workers anymore because you can now get like the real unbridled stuff from it. it's like the things you can do in your home nowadays it's just so out there you don't need anything else anymore it's like who is this man what is going on <laughs> like every third character just like you are fascinating this is just strange and he just decides that jack just needs a gun and he's like i'm giving this and jack's just like i do not want it and he's like no you must take this gun and then and he has that killers or dyers speech which makes yeah. sense yeah, yeah. his character because he's a wild person with just strange opinions that Babette does not like at all Babette does not just does not get on with her father her father is this like ultra strange conservative weirdo that just has bizarre opinions and tries to gives them his broken down car <laughs> and again <laughs> no I feel reason. like that a character like that makes sense because it helps to explain the character of Babette like then you get this yeah. this this grounding of, of where she's come from and how that might have formed who she's become now and Without that, it's just kind of this character that exists and you kind of just have to accept that she is that way because she is. Yeah, and, and so the, do you want me to tell you how the, how the book actually ends? I'm very curious. So, yeah, so the last 20 minutes of, of the movie are start very, very similarly and then just completely diverge but, like, intersect back in weird ways. So it does end with him deciding he's going to go kill the... <laughs> And it is funny in the book, and it is funny in the film. The comp, the composite, the composite <laughs> that becomes a single person. <laughs> but like, you're talking about composite. How how did you how did you sell your body to a composite? It's like it's not a composite anymore. This is a single person. <laughs> and that, but that's a great character in the book because it's like it just shows that he's obsessed with like the minutiae of the little things and just like can't grasp right. his head around like no, this is a real emotional conversation about a thing that I felt that I had to do, and he's just like, wait, you said a composite, and it, it's it's that that just off kilter sense that makes the book work so he goes out there and he just very cold-bloodedly goes out there to kill this guy um and it's really upsetting in the book like it's a really chilling moment that is darkly funny in places but really upsetting and he he just straight up just like just just shoots him it has the conversation it has that kind of like that the point of rooms is their inside speech, but it makes more sense because as he's entering, so it's all strange, it's all weird. There is that being like, how you doing, white man? And it's because it's just like the whiteness of death and the, the, the white noise idea. That That's that's really, really cool. And he, he shoots him and he does that whole thing of shouting out like low-flying bullets and stuff. Yeah, but it yeah. doesn't flash back to, oh, that's from a thing earlier. It just presumes that you remembered 30 pages ago where it right. said that was a side effect of dialogue. Um, which I think works better than a random crosscut. And the crosscut driving there with the flashbacks to why he should do it and that speech about how you're a man and men do this. But like, the book has this careful foreshadowing to get you to this point. Right. It's very telling that the film feels the need to cut back Explain to a point, it, cut yeah. back to a point, explain. Um, so he, he, he kills him. Um, 
But in this thing, because Jack Gladney is a mess, he so gets the, shot as well. In the book, the guy actually dies. Yeah, okay. very much so. Um, so, well, he is dying and ready to die. And he know, and he, the whole point is he knows that he is going okay. to die. So he, he, he shoots him. Um, and in that thing, gets shot himself. Um, so Jack gets shot, but Jack gets shot in the wrist and he is able to like kind of like get the bullet out and bandage it up. And then he decides to make it look like a suicide. Um, so he and he tells the person he's doing this. He's like, and the guy's just like, well, why would I? What, what are you talking about? Why, there's, there's a, the, why would I do this? And he's like, well, no, they'll, they'll, they'll believe this. Don't worry, blah blah. blah. Um, so he puts the gun in his hand and then he wraps him up and they just just drives off to the nearest kind of like place where he's got like a, a no questions asked hospital. And his idea is this guy's going to die, and I think that I'm going to live. And that's going to sort this out for me. And I will be absolutely fine. And they have that conversation in the hospital with the German nuns about how they don't actually... Like, and this is... You'll notice there's one character that is completely absent from this. Babette does not turn up, is not involved, and never right. knows that this happens. Okay. I mean, that yeah, that mm. makes so much more sense. But instead she, she like turns up and she's like, I know you'd be here because of what I explained earlier. And it's like, okay, I mean... <laughs> You're like, do you? <laughs> And it's like yes, I'm like yes, I get that, but also there's a whole choosing to not know that's very key to the book yeah, of them not yeah. not saying this to each other, and it's the conversation that the bear has makes so much sense coming from Jack. Of Jack is really upset that these nuns don't believe in heaven because he needs that. Of like that's that character he needs external belief he needs projected for he needs icons that's the, that's what the Hitler stuff works he yeah. needs this obsession with this 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 figure this like messianic this iconic these like huge figures the people that believe in things that are bigger than things because he's terrified of dying and that conversation with the nuns is really really good because in in the book it's very much like this is a hospital and there are loads of people here and they're dying and we don't care we don't and they're like we don't have time for that like we don't have time for your like random philosophical nonsense like we are here to help you out and to get bullets out of you and there's a bit in the book where it's like they pick up the because you know when they enter they say we've, we've he says we've been shot and so we get a lot of that here well in the book it's presented as that's because it's just full of people that have just been shot and like there's a line that he picks up the gun and just throws it to a pile of other guns in the corner of it's much more of a statement about just like normalize normalize violence Right, again, that makes so much more sense. In the movie, it's just empty. It's just them in there. It's like, that doesn't, you don't get that sense at all. And even the same thing, like, I think that's kind of a problem for me throughout the whole film is that you're explaining all of these these moments that are supposed to be really, like, heavy and genuinely, like, introspective. Yeah, but, like, and, every, and every single thing in the movie is just kind of played off as, like, this lightly, comedically, yes. like... It's just none of it works. There's no point in the film where I'm like really feeling emotionally invested in what's going on because there's always like this little like tilt of like it's funny though. Yeah. So you don't have to really think about it that much. And that's the problem because the book is funny. So they feel the need to to make this a comedy. But the book isn't a comedy. Like the, the book is 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 a like is postmodern satire that is comedic because Don Leo is a very funny writer. And a lot of the comedy comes from the juxtaposition or just clever turns of phrase and Don Leo doesn't write in a way that's right I mean I read that passage it's a lot of just like reported things he doesn't write in a very visual way mm -hmm. and it's 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 very descriptive of like internal states as opposed to like visual elements yeah so seeing things in the book I was just like this is not really how I picture this because I didn't really picture it that much I guess yeah I get of, what you're saying and it's 
that aesthetic doesn't really work. That's why Cosmopolis works because Cosmopolis just takes like, what if we were just pure exteriority then? What yeah. if this was just just weirdness? So it, it works in that way. Um, and just the parts they adapt it, it's like they adapt the surface of Jack the character, and they have that as as the aesthetic of the movie. Right. Okay. Which does not work for me. So the ending continues, right? So that is tied up, and so that person is dead, and he is fine. And he drives back, car full of blood, whatever, and just gets back in bed with a bet as if nothing ever happens. And it's never mentioned again. And, that makes and then what happens... Way more sense to me. Uh, and it's this kind of like... Everyone kind of knows that a thing's happened. No one's going to talk about it. And then... I'll, I'll mix up slightly, but it's kind of what happens is... Then the next day, Wilder, the infant, for no reason, it's reported as if it's a strange event, and it's so cool, just grabs his tricycle... And wheels it out to the highway and just cycles the whole way across the highway on his little tricycle. Okay. Just as people are watching. And it starts people being like, oh, look at this cute game. They're like, what the hell is going on? And just all these cars stop around it as he just does this like random thing for no reason. Just cycles all the way across it as cars stop. Unbelievably, incredibly dangerous. It's like amazing just like moment of being like, this is just so strange. Right. But it's this powerful like complete lack of awareness of like death or anything and it's also very kind of like because they kind of allude to this in the film but not really so in the you know that bit at the end where Babette says the two things that she needs the most is like him not dying first and Wilder yeah 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 which I think is so unsold in in the film because in the book they both keep talking about how much they love Wilder and the reason they love Wilder is because he's basically a baby that doesn't speak and therefore they just project innocence and nothingness onto him. Um, they see him as this innocent reminder of life, of a not fear of death. And that's that's why Wilder is an important character. And that's why his moment at the end it works because sense, just yeah. just goes across this road for no reason. It's like, what are you doing? And is absolutely fine. And then lands in a ditch at the end and then starts crying because then realises the thing that's happened. Right. And the butcher says, this is a thing that happened and isn't it bizarre? And we move on. And then people just end up going down to the the road, to the overpass, because there's a bit in the sky that's just this, because of leftover of the, of the um, global event, the toxic um, airborne event that just like changes the sky in a way that might be ominous, ominous and might be scary, but they're just like, they just, they just stare at it. And it talks about how everyone just comes out there and he realises that how many kind of like people there are with disabilities, because he just sees these people that, 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 that need this that either need hope or want hope or like this is a place of like communal gathering yeah. and they just stare and it's just like we just we just come here and we just look for no reason um and then it's just in the same thing of then they go to a supermarket and they go there and he stares at the things and the, the ending is very very different i find the ending really quite sad and like depressing and he talks about how not the supermarket has everything that you need but you know that bit at the checkout of supermarkets where it's just like the pointless grab stuff yeah. He says like that. That's everything. Like all this kind of like all these things that are sensationalist and ridiculous. This is everywhere. This is everything. And okay. the film takes that and goes, "What if we put a music video of them dancing in a supermarket?" And I'm like, "No, I don't. I hate this." That the ending feels so strange to me. It it just seems so out of place. Like, I I, I mean, even outside of like the difference from from the, the book pointlessly completely different yeah it's just it's just such a departure from everything and it doesn't seem like it fits at all and i don't feel like anything in the film like 
really sells what it's trying to do at the very end there like i just don't no. know what i don't know what the idea was it seems kind of like a we don't really know how to like put a good button on this so let's just make it an huh? lcd sound system music video instead and and the song rolls the like it's great, like because yeah. uh, that's really incredible um but dare i say i love lcd sound system but they're also a little bit dated now and like it just it, the whole thing feels just a little bit out of touch. It just feels a little bit dated in a way the novel yeah, doesn't. It, it all feels a bit like I mean, actually, let me check what year the novel was was written because I think this is actually quite important. Um, so nineteen eighty five, and the thing is, like when you read literature, you read it knowing that it's written from that point of view. Yeah. But this film can only ever be adapted from the year twenty twenty two. Yeah. But there are bits in white noise that perhaps feel a bit on the nose in their consumer satire but it's from 1985 and it reflects yeah. a very different thing and i don't think it makes that translation and yes it's substantially set it's a period piece but it just what feels novel or original or like a book that sprang out of a moment in the 80s of like a really need to comment on the specific consumerist moment of the 80s it makes perfect sense and i don't think the work is done to to engage with that interesting way and the book has more than that and they just ditch the more than that stuff and they keep the consumerist stuff and the consumerist stuff is the is the least interesting bit the toxic global event airborne event right. is kind of like the least interesting bit and in a film that takes these visually iconic bits it not including a child cycling across <laughs> right. a highway is so what like that's that's that would fit more in the film than it does in the book yeah i i feel like the the approach to it like this sort of like slightly surreal like that the way that nothing feels quite right you know it's all all yeah. of it is just a little bit off in the film and i feel like that ends up being a detriment to any I of agree. the ideas that it has because then it removes it instead of saying look at this 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 thing where we're in the 80s and there's all these consumerist ideas and you can feel that there's similarities to modern existence it just feels yeah. like it's out of time and it yeah. doesn't you don't get that feel because it doesn't feel like it's actually set in a different time it just feels like a weird alternate reality instead because yeah i i read the book very much about this idea of like that we are now living in a dystopia no one cares of like we are we are we're just like living in this place that is actually very oppressive and very weird and very strange yeah. and just like this like loss of of culture and meaning and just like this complete over there is and there are good lines that, that, that come up in 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 the film that are in the book but works much better in the book of this idea of being like these vulnerable beings surrounded by oppressive facts of we don't like our factual existence in this world of like comforting like falsity but because you have that interior level in the book it all works so well because it keeps pulling you back to right. how they react to it um i will read you what is the best part of the book by far and i'm so annoyed this is not okay. in it um it's because it's the one part that I think about, and it's a, it's actually a thing that I reference quite frequently. Um, so, ah, oh, this is one of my just favourite passages of literature. So I'm going to read it to you, and you're going to love it because it's so good. Um, several days later, and this is from page 13, so you're like, this book is a banger. Several days later, Murray asked me about a tourist attraction known as the most photographed barn in America. We drove 22 miles into the country around Farmington. There were meadows and apple orchards. White fences trailed through the rolling fields. Soon the signs started appearing. The most photographed barn in America. We counted five signs before we reached the site. There were 40 cars and a tour bus in the makeshift lot. We walked along the cow path to the slightly elevated spot set aside for viewing and photographing. 
All the people have cameras, some are tripods, telephoto lenses, filter kits. A man in a booth sold postcards and slides. Pictures of the barn taken from the elevated spot. We stood near a grove of trees and watched photographers. Murray maintained a prolonged silence, occasionally scrawling some notes in a little book. No one sees the barn, he said finally. A long silence followed. Once you've seen the signs about the barn, it becomes impossible to see the barn. He fell silent once more. People with cameras left the elevated site, replaced at once by others. We're not here to capture an image. We're here to maintain one. Every photograph reinforces the aura. Can you feel it, Jack? An accumulation of nameless energies. There was extended silence. The man in the booth sold postcards and slides. Being here is a kind of spiritual surrender. We see only what the others see. The thousands who were here in the past. Those who will come in the future. We've agreed to be part of a collective perception. This literally colours our vision. A religious experience in a way. Like all tourism. Another silence ensued. They are taking pictures of taking pictures, he said. He did not speak for a while. We listened to the incessant clicking of shutter release buttons, the rustling crank of leathers that advanced the film. What was the barn like before it was photographed, he said. What did it look like? How is it different from other barns? How is it similar to other barns? We can't answer these questions because we've read the signs, seen the people snapping the pictures. We can't get outside the aura. We're part of that aura. We're here now. So we're here. We're now. He seemed immensely pleased by this. And again, that lovely undercutting line at the end that, that makes right. you realise this is both very smart and very insightful, but also kind of really irritating. Of That's the balance of the book. And that passage to me is, is beautiful and insightful, but also gets these people are ridiculous. And also foreshadows so much stuff in the book about the perception, our obsession with the aesthetic and projections of yeah, reality yeah. and these events that are bigger than us. And not really living something. And that's why this, the whole simulated evacuation, evacuation stuff is so brilliant. But yeah, I love that bit so much. And, and it's such a great passage. Why isn't it in the film? It is. I, I didn't remember the barn mean, Is there more to it? Oh, the barn thing, you mean? I thought, you're about the, I thought you were talking about the evacuation thing. No, yeah, that 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 yeah, that whole passage is is fantastic. And certainly makes me want to read the book. Because I'm like, oh yeah, this is like what... I want the film to be, and it's not even close to. Yeah, and but I, I love its perspective. Like you are locked in with this character, and so you get that aside of thinking process, and even just follow up in lines with that motif. Just it's full of so many great literary motifs. Like there was a silence, an extended silence. Of it gets that that stilted strangeness of performative talk. Yeah. The one time the the film gets it, I do think the Hitler versus Elvis um, lecture is good and feels like the book. I really that, that scene's fantastic. It's great. It's, it's really really fun, and again, it works so so well. Um, yeah, I'm uh, very disappointed. I think the book is spectacular. When reading it again, loved it as much. Wasn't sure if I would, and I think the book is just this hollow mishmash of moments from it. That and I really hate the music. Interesting. I don't. I kind of like the music. I don't really have a strong opinion on it. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's amazing, but I thought it was fine. I think I more like hate the use of the music because it, it, it evokes a thing that the book isn't and the film should not be of this kind of like... It, I mean, because I didn't realise it was Danny Elfman until the end. But I was like, this sounds like some Danny Elfman bullshit the whole time. Being <laughs> like, what, what, why is this like? Why is this like Danny Elfman style? Like, kooky quirky family. Kooky okay, quirky yeah, family. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not... That's not what this should be. And I think the music is so important in setting the tone of the film of being more like sitcom-y and being more irreverent in a way that the book is... The book is sarcastic and, and cynical, but can be profound, but has an edge to it. And the music is not that. And for me, I'm just like, I just 
you did not adapt the right book here, Mr. Baumbach. Then what you're doing, can you please adapt the right book next time? Like, I, I get the, I mean, not having read the book, like, I kind of get the sense that it doesn't seem like everyone working on this movie has, like, read the book. Like, it doesn't seem yeah. like the people involved are really aware of what they're doing or what they're aiming at. It just doesn't feel like yeah. there's a there's a cohesive vision in it. No. I think it's bad. I was very disappointed. Um, and I think, weirdly, if he'd made it more like a Noah Baumbach movie, it would have worked more. Like, his needs to make this, this larger, bigger thing cuts against it. This should be a shorter, tighter, more interior, more arty film as opposed to this kind of like larger out there blown out satire. yeah i mean i can see because there is stuff in in the film that i don't think is it's not like i think the whole thing is is, is bad all the way through i mean there's stuff no. that shines through and i think it's just that there's too many things that he's trying to do all at the same time and yeah with the number of things that he's put in the movie it's like you can't execute on all of them and because you have too many things going on you're not going to be able to land one of them because you're constantly going back and forth between all these different ideas so that the end of it it just kind of feels like you this movie is just kind of about nothing because it hasn't had time to really develop anything which is interesting because the book is about nothing but very powerfully about right, in an effective way right <laughs> about nothingness yeah uh, uh yeah it just incredibly disappointed to me um, but I think I've I think I've I've said my bit again. I think the the acting is poor. It's poor. And Adam Driver is terrible, especially terrible. That's <laughs> that's. I mean, I didn't get that impression at all either of the times I I watched. I like Adam Driver a lot. Not saying that you dislike him, but I, oh, I like have any problem lot, with him with his performance in this movie. He is, I think, woefully miscast. Um, he is he okay. is not what this character should be, and then just only gives it as just this very theatrical, strange performance. Um, I think, like, Greta Gerwig is not amazing, but she is a little bit better at selling something behind the dialogue, and Andrade is not at all. Yeah, I, you're not. right there. I think, yeah, her character, you get a lot more of, like, you can see the... Even though you don't get as much of a... You don't get any glimpse into it, really, you can see the, the inner turmoil there, and I don't think that with Jack, you don't really get that at any point. It seems very surface level. Yeah, oh, I even have like some, sometimes where Jack meets some of his like, one of his like old wives in the book. Not this good. No. I mean, it's because obviously I, the the book is is so episodic moment. It makes it hard to adapt. It just doesn't need to be a film. Fundamentally, yeah. is is we'll go back to. I've been like the book works because of its prose style, because of its literary devices, and just isn't. Nothing is gained by putting it on screen. And actually, it's it's lessened. N- not seeing the the big event at the center is works better than seeing the big vendor center because it, yeah, it changes the sense. feel of the text it makes it feel like a science fiction thing the book doesn't feel like because the book feels that bit in the film where they're like we should why aren't their press here? this should be important i think works more in the book because when you see that bit in the film you're like yeah this does look important and this does look huge yeah whereas in the book you're like eh, this didn't really mean anything and you know i guess he's gonna die but whatever yeah the the structure of it is the the film the structure of it is is strange to me because it's like the first half is sort of all of this build up and the execution i guess of this event and and everything that's going along with that and then it doesn't even really feel like the second half it feels like the second half should be sort of the aftermath of that but it doesn't really get that you kind of get that with with jack like having been exposed and like this yeah this this new infusion of like the fear of death because he's supposedly going to die soon but 
that feels tertiary and then it just kind of becomes about the dialar stuff like it just kind of shifts gears right yeah. in the middle and that split and it's just kind of like i feel like i'm watching two things that aren't really fitting together as well as they should which i think the book does very purposefully of like feeling kind of like there's a thing that happens in his right happens, which makes sense happens. um and and the film because because that moment is so so cinematic you feel the need for the film to bend around it because that's a yeah. cinema moment it makes um, it look and, important yeah and, and when it doesn't you're like well, well why didn't it that was a big thing that happened yeah and it's, it just doesn't work so there you go that is Don DeLillo's White Noise which is beautiful and Noah Bamak's White Noise which is just <laughs> unfortunately sorry oh, White yeah. Noise fans we went right in we went right into it, it was a... right into it yeah 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 I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've watched anything else recently that is. I don't think so. Ones. I haven't even seen much myself, but yeah, it's the beginning of the year seems to be the uh, the most staggered and dissonant of the uh, release schedules. So it's kind of impossible unless uh, things yeah, are on streaming. I, I, so, so yeah, I can't see Infinity Pool yet. I know that you've seen that, um, which your review will maybe on the site by the time this is up. Uh, hopefully, I'm not sure. But... Yeah. But yeah, hopefully. if not, we'll, we'll be up soon, so you can you can read what you think there, um, and then yeah, um, a bit of Oscar catch up. I know some things have finally come out in the UK this week, so I know that EO um, has now come oh, out. Nice. So I'm going to try and go see EO. I might not be able to because I bet it will show nowhere. I'm going to try and go see all the Beauty and the Bloodshed today, um, and I'm going to probably go see the Whale this week. We'll be. Uh... Interested to hear your thoughts on that one. Um, yeah. Are you guys getting No Bears this week as well, or is that a that came out that came out a while ago? Oh really? Um, and I, it's just and I missed it. Now. Yeah. Oh really? I know it came out here a while ago, but at a time when I was I was away, I think. Was there something else that's just come out? This oh, and I want to see that. I'm not sure that movie. Oh yeah, I'm seeing that tomorrow morning. <laughs> that, that, that 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 might be a thing that we talk about. Um, that, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, you're I'm right. It's probably worthwhile. Although I think by the next time we record depending on when we record um and i actually don't know if the releases are staggered at all but at least theatrically uh, magic mike is coming out um, oh yeah no that comes out that comes out on my birthday oh, comes okay. out on my birthday um so yeah i should probably watch that should watch that should watch magic mike and magic mike xxl again to see if i actually feel the same way about those movies that i think that i do seems like a worthwhile project i would like to do the same as well yeah because I remember really, really, really liking the first one, and the second one I was just like, "What? No!" Um, <laughs> and I, in the reverse, I don't like the first one very much, and I think the second one's fantastic. So, because for me, I expected the first one to be about a thing, and I was like, "Oh, it's not about that. How interesting!" And the second one was, "Oh, this is what I thought the first one was going to be." Okay, well, okay, that's fair. That's that's understandable. Well, he's Soderbergh. He likes he likes the Soderbergh. I, I thought it was gonna be like kind of like just like a, a male stripping movie, but it was very much not that. And the second was like, ah, it's a male stripping movie. I was like, okay, this is less interesting to me. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, tune in next time for maybe Magic Mike discussion. Yeah, mag- yes, um, the magicist of Mike's. Um, awesome. Um, do we have any correspondence? I feel like before we get to correspondence, oh, I think we need to gear up, Stephen. I thought I didn't know when we were gonna do this. I didn't know we were gonna do this at the I end. I didn't really, I didn't really oh, know either. Yeah. I was like, well, I'll just throw it wherever. Uh, I know. I, but... I think yeah, because we need, to, we can't risk people not hearing this bit because this is, this is, of this course. Is yeah. So yeah, gear up for Gran Turismo. Um. Oh yeah. The get hyped, guys. The hot we, new segment. Doing, yeah. So we've been doing some stuff. 
um, gear up connectors with. I am in the process of trying to work my way. So what we found out is that the Gran Turismo... The story so far. <laughs> yeah. So, well, first of all, oh, well, we're not even talking the big reveal. The big reveal is the director, right? Oh, we did, yeah, we well, did we that, mentioned last that last week. Time. So yeah, yeah the yeah. big reveal was there's Neil Blomkamp is directing this. Fantastic. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that. And now the big reveal is this is not even based on Gran Turismo. This is, this is based on a, 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 describing it as a building's roman, which is a term for a novel, but fair enough. Um, roman means novel. Someone just really um, so wanted to use that word. <laughs> someone, someone wanted to call it a novel. But I, I know it works outside of that, but come on. it's it, You can say coming of age. Just say coming of age. Yeah. A coming of age tale where a kid enters the Gran Turismo driving championship and does so well and becomes a professional driver for like Nissan, I think. Yeah. Um, something like that. Um, and the Gran Turismo he played, I worked out, is Gran Turismo 5. Gran Turismo 5 is the Gran Turismo, um, which is the first proper one on PS3 because Gran Turismo Prologue came out as a launch game, maybe? Prologue, and then, okay. Yeah. So, uh, you're, so you've, you're becoming a Gran Turismo person, yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm familiarizing myself. I'll, I'll have my own Gran Turismo story to tell, but yeah, I, yeah. I have not played it before we started gearing up. But previously you were not, were you? No, because I never owned um, Sony consoles growing up, and then um, I finally bought a PS4 a few years ago now. But yeah, um, finally did. But then at that point, I wasn't like super into racing or anything like that, so I didn't no. bother like going back and playing Gran Turismo and like <laughs> the the Forza Horizon games were were out, yeah. and I was playing those because that's like much more my style. Yeah, I'm kind of like. A little bit obsessed with Gran Turismo, though I have no interest in playing the games at all. Like them as, as things that exist really fascinate me because they're just like they're just like these amazing, weird car like car life sim. The way that's yeah. why I find them more interesting than Forza. And I I, pre- I would prefer to play a Forza game. And I actually like the Forza Motorsport games and, and play those. But the Gran Turismo games, when they're at their best, is just like spread. It's like when I was a kid, we used to get Top Gear magazine or like a car magazine, and my brother and I would just spend hours just looking through the stats about cars at the back and like the prices of used cars and stuff right. and like it's griffin's like what have you adapted that into a video <laughs> game like obsessing over like yeah. this small hatchback i was supposed to like forza is about racing and driving race cars yeah and griffin's like no i bought a small nissan and i'm gonna <laughs> take the car wash <laughs> and i'm gonna do some little things to the engine and I'm not going to make it good, but I, I, it's going to drive exactly like this. And it's like the li- like the fact that you do license things, the fact that you have to take your car to the car wash and it's all menus, the fact that this is like this weird, like soft jazz driven. And then the releases of Gran Turismo are bizarre because it's like Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo 2. There's like three and three A-spec and three Prologue. And then, and then Prologue came out because five wasn't ready yet. And do you remember the, you probably don't, but do you remember the, the, or the whole like, dare I say, controversy about the release of Gran Turismo 5? Maybe if you start talking about it, because I feel like I remember that game coming out, but Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember the controversy. It kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and was becoming really expensive, because they're like, we'll throw whatever money at it you can. And the crazy thing about Gran Turismo is like the the guys I forget the guy's name that's the Gran Turismo guy but like they just like find so spending ages like getting great microphones to like record exact exhaust sounds of cars oh like this God. is it is about like m- moving around and walking around and looking at cars yeah. like perfectly modelled um, and Gran Turismo 5 I think it was 5 
it was revealed at the point they're like it's not we're not gonna be able to make this game the game we want so we are releasing it with two types of cars standard cars and premium cars and only in premium cars can you have things like an interior (laughs) Um, what so only the, and also the bottom of the car was only modeled on the premium cars. So That's you, so bizarre. Apart from that, and also this is not a car, a, a, a game where cars flip over or something because this is serious driving. It's so very like, serious. You really see the bottom of the car, but the idea so they, they would make the exact bottom. They basically they had to release an unfinished game, but they made it into a feature somehow. <laughs> Yeah, totally, and it's and, and but that's Gran Turismo. Like that's the weirdness about this series. Like the strange, and like I was been like the whole point of this game is that like it's 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 the overt like car obsession. How dare you? How dare you not <laughs> right. fully commit to this? But it's strange, and like you can't do certain damage to them because they're licensed. They didn't have Porsche for a long time. I think GT Sport brought in Porsche, and that was that was that was a very big deal because Forza had okay. the Porsche license. Um, so yeah, the Gran Turismo Five release was utterly bizarre. Because it was just like, they're supposed to be the ultimate driving sim, and half these cars don't have interiors. Like, so and Forza was just <laughs> like, so rather, and Forza was like, okay, rather than having every car in the world, we're just going to focus on just like having like 300 cars and then being good. And we're just like, well, we've got like a thousand, but only 200 of them are good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Forza always knows that there's a lot of cars that you just don't have any interest in driving. So it's like, we're just, you can have a couple basic cars, but it's mostly, you know, like the, the hyper cars that you want to be driving anyway. Well, that actually, but this is why I kind of like Gran Turismo because when I when I play Forza, I get a bit bored by the hyper because I get a bit bored by the hypercars. I'm like, I would play Burnout for this. Of there is a bit of a, a wish fulfillment. Of I actually do. This may surprise you. But I am, I actually do quite like cars. In a previous life, I was quite a car person. Me. Yeah, I, I I know too much about cars, um, and that's kind of like faded out. But I do like cars, um, and so I do have that wish fulfillment of driving supercars like round big tracks. Yeah, that yeah. is cool, but. The other thing that I have, which Grand Turismo ticks, is buying my car in the game and driving my car <laughs> in the game that it. feels like my car. Yeah, I, no, genuinely. Sense. Yeah, I, like, I get that. Like, getting, getting a Ford Fiesta and not really doing much to it and it's like taking it to the Nuremberg and being like, I'm, this is how my car would drive and this feels like my car. And like that, that is a different kind of fantasy that Gran Turismo gets and be like, I've bought a small, not very good car and I, I can't can drive believe. it on a racetrack against other small, not very good cars can't believe it's never come up we both own fords wow what a coincidence yeah okay. <laughs> big 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 ford fiesta hours. um whereas forza is like it gives you the the bad car for a bit but then soon you've got yeah. like 25 other cars and it's like i'm not going back to my ford fiesta but gran turismo i was like look through like booklets and books of menus being like i want this bad small car i'm gonna drive a bad small car for a long time and that's it doesn't feel like progression it feels like i want this oh i like gran turismo so that's that's interesting that that goes well into my experience so cool right so i've like never played a gran turismo game before so i have like i had like a cursory idea of like what the games were and i think mostly in my head it was basically just like the sony version of of forza so like i had like this idea of like it would be somewhat similar to the the motorsport games like obviously i yeah i enjoy the horizon games but they're completely different so i knew it was going to be more of a racing sim kind of thing um and so i my PS4, I bought Sport because it was twenty dollars, and I wasn't going to buy. Which is again a, just a like more weird things. Game. What even is that? Like, like it's, it's right? Not like, there's GT6, no. It it's not really GT7. I don't know what GT Sport is. But it I'm was not... like PlayStation hit, so it was one of the ones that was twenty bucks, and I was like, sure, I'll I'll, I'll get this one because this is all for this podcast bit anyway. <laughs> um, I started playing it, and it was like, 
I mean, it's it's weird Did to it describe. Did you to buy a small Ford? Was it like to buy a small Ford? Close. I think my first car is a Honda. <laughs> um, <laughs> like yeah. a little Honda hatchback. Um, and you're like, oh, what if I slightly adjust the suspension? But it's like, I, it's weird to say that like the menus are boring, but it's like, it is it is oh! like the most like, like, I don't even know how to like describe it. It's like so, there's no like flash or like flair to any no, of like the presentation. No. It's just like. No, it's like a used car, it's like a oh, used it, car magazine. It, it is. That's and the it's joy. Like, That's the joy of this game to me. There's, there's nothing. It's not like trying to it's help admin. you in any way. Yeah, it's just like you go in and it's like, all right, you've got like four hundred different leagues and different races and and like all of these different things that you can do and start and go through and it's not like you really start a series and then you have to keep going through it. You're just kind of like, I'm gonna race here and then now I did this race. So I was kind of like taken aback by the the. I think GT Sport is a bit different there because I think that is I, more. I would like... imagine. I think it's more the pure racing one, whereas the others... I, think, I don't know, GT7 does have, like, a storyline that sounds wild. <laughs> and I think at the end, you meet up with all the drivers and they congratulate you. Like, you walk around and they, like, shake your hands and tell you you're a good driver. <laughs> but that, that, that's so Gran Turismo. It, it's, oh, it's, it just loves cars and driving yeah. culture. Um, but spreadsheet I, game. I, I like the spreadsheets. So I, I, st- I went to, like, the first... Whatever the first race that it, like, gave me was... And it, like, asked me what I wanted to do for difficulty, so I was like, I don't know, like, I kind of know racing games, so I think I did, like, <laughs> intermediate or something like that that was, like, no assists or anything. And I tried racing, and very quickly I was like, oh, this is, like... I can't drive this car. <laughs> right, like, I'm like, I don't know how to drive like this, and this is extremely realistic, and I am terrible at this. So I yeah. had to turn the difficulty down, and I went to... I went all the way down to beginner and then it breaks for you. And I was like, well, I don't want that. So then I went to like whatever the in between was. Yeah. I remember playing Grand back in the day and being like, oh, my tires are low and that matters now. And oh God, now I like this bit of wear. And oh, if I drive too fast, then I'm just yeah, doing like the, the engine. Hyper-realism. Like, oh, I was like, I've stalled. How have I stalled? <laughs> it's just like, I'm, it's like so completely different from like the way I'm, cause I just, I, I, I mean, I like racing games, but I like, you know, like arcade so, racer stuff where it's you yeah, know, much yeah. more fast paced. And now I'm driving a <laughs> driving a little Honda around a track at 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> Maybe. this is very, very different. It's, you know, realistic braking. I'm sliding all over the place and crashing into everything. And <laughs> yeah, I think I maybe got first once in my time playing so far. So I have, I'm felt not good doing though, very right? well. That, that felt good, though. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, Dare I, I say like, that Gran Turismo is the, is the Dark Souls of racing series? <laughs> I think I would agree with you. <laughs> Maybe um, even more the Monster Hunter, actually. I think it's more Monster Hunter. But but to connect it to the to continue our Gran Turismo conversation, so I was playing it, and I wasn't doing very well, but I was like, well, I'm not getting the, the full experience of, of Gran Turismo right now. So no. I had been playing out in the living room, but I was like, this isn't good enough. So I unhooked my PlayStation from the TV in the living room and I brought it into my office because my one of my monitors has HDMI in so I can hook it the, the PlayStation okay. up to my one of my monitors. Okay. And so I hooked it up and I put I had Gran Turismo up here that I was like, all right, and then I'm gonna watch Elysium on my other monitor to get the full <laughs> <laughs> Neil Blomkamp Gran Turismo experience. Um I don't think it helped at all. I think I was worse at racing because I was also watching the movie and the movie's pretty bad. <laughs> Um, but so I rewatched Elysium. 
I, I thought for a while you were going to say, I bought a racing wheel. And I was like, yes, boy. Oh, yes, buy I a mean, racing wheel. <laughs> I would want to, but I think I would be broke by the end of that process. Yeah. I, it, there's a part of me that's just like, I should get a PS5, buy Grand Turismo 7, and just get a racing wheel. Just, <laughs> just, just submit. Just do that. You always, I enjoy it. All those sim games, you do want to do it. Like, you start playing Flight Simulator, and you're like, but what if I had a flight stick? That would be much more realistic. <laughs> it's like, at my, like, biggest, like, Street Fighter stage, I was like, I have a fight stick now. Like, I just, I don't, it's just not, I'm not better at the game because I have an arcade stick. But, but I enjoy one. it more. <laughs> I enjoy it the more. The perception I care of you about is that you're better now that you have one. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it's, better, it's just, it's a fun thing to have and to use. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've been having a Neil Blancamp experience, so I've decided that I'm going to track, I'm going to go back Okay. And work my way through Neil Blomkamp's career through the lens of this career is building up to. <laughs> Your review is so great. <laughs> that first one that you wrote. I'm, so, I'm sure that like everyone was probably reading that like, what the what is he talking <laughs> about? It is one of my least liked reviews because we're just like, one, what is this? And two, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I have decided that I'm going to go through Neil Blancamp's as many movies as I can be bothered, but only explore for the lens of this is this is prologue for right. Gran Turismo, this, a Gran Turismo prologue, into, into <laughs> so, a racing movie. And I think I stumbled onto it, it already, nailed it. So in Tetraval, his first short, which is RoboCop, Chappie, but as an advert. Have you seen Tetraval? No, I haven't. It's two minutes long. Not worth watching. Um, it's a chappy robot. Two minutes isn't worth watching. That's a bad sign. <laughs> Not really, no. It's a chappy robot that is a robot cop, like a Robocop, and it just talks about how this is the future of law enforcement, but it has that sort of being like, see, it's actually fascism, um, and, and and that's it. And the case there is text on the screen. The text on the screen looks terrible. I'm like, how's the text on the screen so terrible? And I was like, ah, Gran Turismo, bad UI, makes sense. Okay, there you go. Um, but this central idea of it just being an excuse to have a technological showcase of a machine at the center is like, that's just Gran Turismo. Of like, who cares the bits okay, around the outside? The world doesn't really matter. Here is an effects reel at the middle. We've made this thing seem like a real thing. And I was like, oh, and and that reminds me of the, of the premium car distinction. Chappie is the premium car. Chappie is the premium car at the center. Doesn't care about anything else around it. Yeah, that's does not actually bother. that's actually pretty true. Like, all of his movies are just like he's so obsessed with like the the way it all looks and the technology of this world that he's created and the it, all these little perfections. And then it's like the rest of it, he's kind of like, oh, who cares? Whatever. But like, at least it like, looks cool. The whole human side of District Nine is so flimsy and ridiculous and ultimately pointless. But that little like technical bit in the, begin- in the middle really, really cares about that. That's Gran Turismo. This is a guy that that just interfaces with the presentation of technology and machinery and cares about that. This is the perfect guy to direct a Gran Turismo movie. So how perfect. much, how much Blomkamp have you seen in general? Have you pretty much only seen District Nine? Um, I've seen Alive in Joburg because I saw District Nine, and then I think yeah, only District Nine. So I need to watch the rest. But I didn't really like District 9 very much, so it didn't really make me want to watch the rest. Yeah, I mean, I like District 9, and I don't like the rest of his movies. So if you didn't like District 9, you will probably really, <laughs> really not like the rest of them. I prefer District Bonnier 13. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, that, that that's... So yeah, District Bonnier 13 is, is much better. That's a really an, an improved sequel that I actually don't have Mark down as having watched. Okay, I have seen this parkour movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. Fun, I mean, it's, it's not a great movie, but it's fun. Um, District Thirteen Ultimatum. Yeah, I think there's a sequel. I wow. Watched it. So yeah, District Nine is not my favorite District movie. Um, 
but yeah, that's a uh, gear up for Gran Turismo. And well, I'm I'm very excited. I now think that he's the right director for the job. Um, okay. I knew he did that Halo stuff. I didn't know that he did Anthem stuff. Yeah, I forgot about that. I think I knew that at one point. Um, yeah, I, but... I. He's such a weird director. I feel like I there's always a part he of me only that cares really... about tech. He only right. cares about tech. There's a Grand part of me that just always hopes that I'm, there's actually going to be a good movie in one of his projects, but it just hasn't happened. I do like his his shorts. The the Oat Studios shorts um, are fun. Those three Raka, Firebase, and Zygote. Well, I, I look um, forward to watching those and seeing how much Gran Turismo DNA is in either of them. I'm very excited to hear what Gran Turismo DNA you can find in them. Yeah, so also as part of my Gran Turismo journey, I bought the wrong console. <laughs> you bought an Xbox. <laughs> so I bought an Xbox Series X and I've installed the new Forza game. <laughs> so I would talk about that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I wanted to get a new console because it felt time. And sorry, listener, um, my dedication to I don't want to spend £70 on games every month. Game Pass exists. And this is a hundred pounds no. cheaper than a PS5, so yeah, that, that makes sense. I totally get that. Yeah, I just installed so like expensive. twenty games. I have a console with now like twenty games, which I spent eleven pounds for, plus the price of the console, obviously. So <laughs> well, this has been a good game podcast. Yeah, <laughs> podcast yeah. about video games. Yeah, um, but now, uh, now I think we can jump into some listener mail. Now that we're done, oh, we don't talk about Hi-Fi Rush. No, we talk about Hi-Fi Rush. What's a Hi-Fi Rush podcast? I I just played it right before. It's good, isn't we, it? Uh, we started um, recording. I was like, I need to stay up. I need to stay awake. So I decided to start up Hi-Fi Rush, and uh, I don't like it very much. No! I don't think it's very good. I really don't. Like, I I mean, it's very pretty. The world is really cool. But I feel like, at least what I can tell so far, I play, like, the first section of the game through the first boss. That's it. Seems that's exactly like, the amount that I've played. It seems like all of the work went into creating this really cool world and this really cool environments and making all of the environments and everything sync up to the beat yeah and they were like oh right and then we have to make a game to go along with that and then and the, and the game the, rules i don't i think the combat's terrible and i don't the like combat's the so good oh, it's i love it i love it, I, it, it not working I, for me at all uh, i'll talk about it on a, on, a, on a stacks thing but no i really enjoy the combat i love the beat stuff it makes the the combo putting in combos now feels much more purposeful and like even even if you are button bashing you are still button bashing rhythmically um so it gives it an intentionality um and also it allows you to do the precise timings of combos like a dev maker i would ask of you but guides you to do that in a really fun way that like makes the high end more accessible um and I like the visual feedback gives you everything. I, I really, I really enjoy doing combos in this game. And I don't, I like character action games, but I get overwhelmed by the amounts of combos. Like I like Bayonetta a lot, but I'm like, I need to learn 13 of these and I'm never going to. And yeah, now I'm like, sense. it is oh, very simple in that way. If I can play this rhythmically, then I will do well. Right. Um, and it's more about feeling the game and therefore it feels much more fluid and I'm able to do cooler, more interesting stuff. So I really, I really like the amount of, of rhythm and gameplay. Yeah. I feel it's like awesome. I like all the stuff that it wants to do. And I'm just, maybe I'm just not, it just hasn't clicked yet. I, I'll try to play. I'll try to play more. Okay. Hopefully, it will. I was also just annoyed. They put a sweet Nine Inch Nails song that I really like in that first boss, and you can't hear the song at all because it's, all the sound effects are so loud. And I'm like, I can't. I hear love the, song. the sound effects though. Oh, the sound effects so, so yeah, great. I just want to hear the Nine Inch you, you Nails. Know, <laughs> you know you're doing cool stuff because when you there's so many good good stuff in that game of like giving you it 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 never punishes you. So what rhythm games often suck with is they focus on 
making it bad if you're offbeat, so therefore they feel punitive. Whereas what this game focuses on is making everything feel good if you're onbeat, and it that doesn't really sense. matter if you're I mean, not. Yeah, I do get that sense. It doesn't feel too punishing if you are not doing things on the beat, but... But if you do, you get a cool sound that shows you got it right, you get a visual indicator, so it, it incentivizes you to do that, but doesn't make you feel like a like an idiot because you can't it's not like when you play rock band on difficulty it's just like, like oh, god <laughs> that's damn it god, no, i can't right do this <laughs> it's just it's been like okay well it'd be better if you could do this in the rhythm but it's, it's not like attacks do less damage if it's or you miss it's just like you would do better if you didn't debate and you're like okay i will do it to debate it looks yeah. cool and it sounds cool i think rhythm wise it's just like too much like i like the rhythm stuff that's more simplistic i like stuff like rhythm heaven or like elite beat agents where it's much more focused on just like just the the rhythm aspect of it um but I'll give it another shot and see how it goes. Okay. I, I like it a lot. Emails. Emails. Hi Fi Rush correspondence. We have lots of emails about Hi Fi Rush. That's not true. Um, we should do it. It's great. <laughs> Email from Beb. Thanks for yeah. emailing, Beb. Um, Beb is real. Beb is real. Sup? Knowledge is a great thing, don't you think? I have some top secret yeah. knowledge for y'all. Noah Baumbach directed White Noise. Ain't that crazy? Moreover, he adapted it from a book. An awesome concept. Mm. Right. My question to you is I, about I would movies. argue that he didn't. I would argue he didn't adapt it from a book, <laughs> well, and I think that's the issue. <laughs> is this a good movie or a bad movie? Now then, I have to go watch a movie. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks for that it's a, illustrious it's email, a, Beb. Uh, it's a bad movie. It's a, it's a bad movie. Yeah, it's yeah. a bad movie. I think... Sorry. Prior to tonight, I would have said it's fine, or maybe even it's okay. But I'm I'm on the bad side now. I don't think it's good. It's bad. It's bad. Rewatch. Well, thank you, Beb. Harmful. Um, but yes, thank you, Beb. Uh, and now an email from Lorcan. Thank you. Yes. Again. Always, always love a Lorcan email. Uh, the best. The best. Hi, Vaughn and Steven. Since you are yet to talk much about tar, there is one particular angle. <laughs> <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, please. Where all I talk about is tar. <laughs> Uh, about which I'd be curious to hear your takes. One critic has spoken extensively about the film on Film Comments podcast, first from the Venice Ooh. Film Festival and then in a, debate, in a debate with another critic, in which she, Jessica Kyung, was pro the film and the other critic was anti. This is, of course, worth listening to in itself if it sounds like something that would be interesting to mm -hmm. you. Prior to the debate, Kyung's very first reaction to Tar was to say that, it, that she had long had the following question in her mind. When will a new film finally offer up a female protagonist who will be an equivalent singular force of nature as Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview, and there will be blood? Hmm. Tar and Kate Blanchett satisfy this for her long satisfy for her this long sought after wish. There's a lot of responses one could have to this. It is or it isn't a useful comparison. There have or there haven't been other roles of women with power and deviousness and tragic dimensions this century. Where I come in in relation to this is that when I went to expand on my first response to Tar, it struck me that I believe it is the most highbrow mainstream film since The Master yeah. and has similar yeah. strengths and limitations as The Master. They're both about ego and desire, and desire, since it's always shifting, makes the characters hugely compelling to watch. But the nature of this subject eludes closure, and I think that each film defers arriving at meaning. The Master more so than Tar, while Tar, on the other hand, is much more annoying than The Master because it has that thriller-style editing that makes every brief scene feel like some sort of tease, every cut loaded with the suggestion that finally some sort of significance will reveal itself, 
only to consistently frustrate that expectation. Yes, Tar actually delivers a big moment before its shift into the final act, in distinct contrast to the master. One way or another, both films have a long final segment during which their main characters drift a bit while the viewer might rack their brain over what it all means. All in all, such highbrow, ambitious English-language films with a certain lavish level of budget and filmmaking craft will always feel like a gift. Tar and the Master are two of the very best examples of this in the last ten years. I still can't get quite on board with them and Tar more so than the Master, but what are your thoughts on Tar? Do you think at all that it is a PTA-level type of achievement, whether in acting or on any other level? Thank you very much. I hope this topic is interesting to you. Keep up the great work, Lorcan. Thank you. really interesting because i yeah i've not thought about it in 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 that way it didn't feel like that to me but it is a very good person i really love the master i really love the master and i like tar a lot i don't love tar but i don't think quite for the reasons that that lorcan's put there i i just feel that tar falls apart a little bit at the end and it just gets a little bit silly um and i quite like the 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 furry kind of stuff because i think it, it shows that this life is is quite thrilling um and like gets like dramatic heart of it I do agree with Lorcan that I don't think Tar's that that meaningful ultimately. Um, okay, yeah. But I I just think it's a really good dramatic character study the whole way through, and I do agree it is of a kind of like mainstream big idea like intellectual half movie that I, that I do appreciate. It feels literary in a filmic way the whole way through. I'd love that it's a, a Monster Hunter movie, obviously. That's probably the best part about the movie, is that it's about Capcom's Monster Hunter franchise. Um, but performance is great. I thought what we were going to talk about is the the um, the female composer, I think it was, that was angry about this being inspired by, clearly inspired by a female composer, and being like, why, why would you, when there are so few female composers, and it's so underrepresented, why would you make a film about them as negative when it's an underexplored space, which is interesting. I don't know if I agree with that. It doesn't right. really move but it is, is, in, is an interesting perspective. But I'd be like, I would say it's an excuse to show... I, I think that's a, a somewhat shallow thing of being like, the why Tara is good is because there is an... She is bad. She's a bad person. Yeah. But she is a... She, there's an ambiguity of character and it's a compelling and interesting character. Yeah, And it is a so. really strong character portrait. And she's not the only character in the film. We're not the only female kind of like artistic presence in the film. And there is a lot of like feminine artistry in the film around that and a lot of like wider diverse thought around that. So I feel that stuff works. I feel it's... We've moved beyond uh, we need good... It, we are beyond let's have strong women characters in films. And I thought that can be condescending now. I think now it's like, let's have complex, engaging and thoughtful yeah. presentations of a variety of people. And Tara is that. And we would get, we get these kind of movies about men, which is, I think the, the blood comparison is, is, is very good, actually. We get these, these towering iconic figures. And we don't as much outside of genre film. Yeah. Because I would talk about things like Destroyer, for example, that are kind of like a really interesting kind of like, it's a different kind of character study, but an interesting like character study, the Karen Kassan movie that I think about quite a lot, I really, really like. Um, outside of genre film you don't get this kind of like heady exploration of, of a character I don't think that is that is a woman um, so that I appreciate about it I don't know if I really responded to the question but I a lot to think about that that is interesting yeah no I, I agree I, it's interesting I hadn't really thought about the yeah the Daniel Plainview comparison um, but I, I do think it's apt but yeah I, I also yeah. agree that like I don't know if it's necessary. Like it, it didn't leap to mind yeah. really when I when I saw the film. Um, 
because I think it has be- it's not like so unusual now for there to be um, a more commanding um, female lead uh, in stuff but what did definitely strike me watching tar for the first time was that it, it it did feel like an event in that it was this very you know big production like prestige american yeah. film which is something that feels so much it more feels rare. like a it feels like a 70s film in that way of like when yeah. the big movies were more kind of like artistically there's a reason re- there are many reasons some of them are depressing of why that era of american cinema is so held up but one of them is because the mainstream everyone watched movies because distribution was so different were kind of like prestigious heavyweights. So your 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 Godfathers, for example, right. of our, our films with with poetic depth and with with ideas in them, but were also big and mainstream. And Tar feels more at home in like that cinematic landscape than this cinematic landscape. And I really like that. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that's why it like struck me so much because it does feel so like out of place next to. Mm everything else around it and that was like so refreshing and great to see um i do like the master a lot i haven't seen it in a few years now and i really want to watch it again because i feel like it was the i did like a whole pta marathon where i watched all of his movies and i feel like out of out of his films um, that i watched during that period it was the one that kind of most sort of eluded me and that i even just watching it the first time like immediately i was like i will already looking forward to revisiting this and, and getting more out yeah, of I've, it i've but... watched it a few times it, it stunned me in the cinema i was just like whoa what what was that and it, it's definitely rewarded me going back to it I, I i like the ambiguity in that and i i actually think that i wish tar had more of that i think tar wants to speak at you a lot um right. and wants to explain itself to you a lot and i don't think that and so there's a central scene in tar that i think is is conceptually good but like not that well handled um which is the altercation with the students and i think because the writer is it field that wrote it i don't know if it is or not um but the the writer is very good at writing lydia tar but is not as good as writing a kind of like gen z student and that gen z student just doesn't doesn't come across great and comes across as a mouthpiece for kind of like slightly misunderstood viewpoints um, yeah, yeah. And, and that scene doesn't work it works conceptually and narratively and it, and it does a good job of illuminating about, about Lydia Tarr but I think the way that the writer has a command of Tarr is not expressed with the wider characters the whole way through yeah I guess I, I think that character in particular like it does feel like that's more of what someone like Lydia Tarr how they how she would imagine a, yes a, a kid like that would be and not how a kid like that would actually be yeah. in real life um, yeah. Yeah, yeah which you know maybe they could be more use could actually do something with that but i don't think the the language of the film really yeah no get i agree that across um but yeah that, i mean that's that is a lot to think about and all very very excellent points yeah, I mean, um, we don't expect video game movies to be that kind of thing. And, and I, I think it's not until Gran Turismo that, that we'll think about it in that way. Um, but I was very pleased that a, a game with official Capcom licensing in... in a, sorry, a film with official Capcom licensing in, in, in the credits does deliver that kind of like artistic experience that I expect from Monster Hunter. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, no. you. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that at this point. Um, it is also almost 1 30 in the morning so that probably contributes to it um and now an email from our good friend cody yay 
um, who said he was going to email, if, and I said, please don't ask us to sing. This is about Skinner Brink. I'm, 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 and I'm ending this podcast. Um, um, hello, I'm not sure really what to ask about Boundbox White Noise, since I'm not hugely familiar with the director or the source or this film, but I'm sure it's a great and informative episode, and I'm sure I'm enjoying listening to it. I hope I'm not lying. I hope you're not lying either. <laughs> Uh, however, I'm aware Stephen is excited for the new Forza movie, and I want to ask what your favorite cars in Forza are. My, fa- my favorite is the PT Cruiser because it looks amazing and it is yes! fast and unbeatable at high speeds. Please give detailed reasonings. Love, Cody. Well, well, thank you for emailing. I think I've already given actually what my favorite my favorite Forza cars are. I like buying the car that I own and driving it. <laughs> such a specific thing uh i feel like what i always do in forza at least what i have done in like the the horizon games where it is more like arcadey and you can kind of just go yeah. around and have fun um i i tend to like buy movie adjacent cars oh um, cool and kind of just like i can kind of make this car look like this uh this thing and just kind of race around and be like Gran Turismo has no interest in no, that. Gran Turismo no, is not that like that put deck house and like it's like no, you've bought a car and you take this car seriously. Don't put Naruto on your car. This is a car. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is also the thing with uh, with Forza. So they've got like the whole uh, paint job market, and so you can just like find people that have also like, hey, you can get this Jeep and you can get it painted like the Jurassic Park Jeep. <laughs> That's what so, I'm all about in Forza. There was a, there was a point in in my life where I was into um oh what was I gonna say? Um I have no idea. I just just completely completely left oh um where where I played a bunch of Battlefield three. Um Great this game. sounds I love Battlefield three. And I, I'm not really a big like military shooter guy. Um and I was I at imagine. this point I was not big into the Call of Duties very much at all. And the reason I got into Battlefield three the multiplayer is because I could realize I could play that game as a medic, and I had got a, I had found a really yeah. fun time playing that game purely as like a, a, a supportive role, and so I kind of like pseudo role played myself being like that, and that's what I like about Forza sometimes. Of you could play hours and hours of Forza and just not drive cars because you could be super into the just decoration making, yeah, that's true. Of, of cars that, that and like the whole thing the thing about Gran Turismo is like no it's like do you no do you, you are here to buy and drive cars drive around a track <laughs> so, and you will drive around a difference. track slow because you are poor and you can't afford a supercar <laughs> exactly Forza is just like oh you don't want to do that well what about this is this is this and Gran Turismo is like no you will buy a very small <laughs> Ford hatchback and you will drive it slowly and it will and feel you- slow and you'll have to win 10 circuits to afford the, the, a slightly nicer Ford. <laughs> the track is a circle. It's not good. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for the Forza movie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. I hope we get a Forza movie now. Um, that is all of our emails for this. Who do you want you to direct for... the Forza movie? Oh, ooh. That's a great question. Well, it's got to be someone... Eli Roth. <laughs> well, he's already doing Borderlands. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I guess, wasn't he, like, sort of kicked off borderlands and now someone else is like doing the well there you go Forza. Like but <laughs> he left borderlands to go make Forza. he's like i'm bored of this <laughs> it sucks <laughs> so yeah it was a Forza movie um maybe he uh, quit what... when he learned to, he learned all that stuff that about his cast member leading cast member lydia tar in his movie uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um i mean monty hellman's dead so that would be difficult but <laughs> yeah that would be difficult <laughs> Good choice, though, I guess. <laughs> would be cool. Actually, I think Monty Hellman would make a good Gran Turismo movie. <laughs> You're probably right. 
they spend a lot of they spend a lot of time in two lane blacktop fixing up that car. Yeah, Todd Field could make a, a good Forza movie. I would love to see that. They do have that. She does have that sweet Porsche and tar. I mean, again, is interested in video games. Is interested in video game movies, and yeah, you know, has a bit of hair. Hmm. I think Forts is harder to make into a movie than Gran Turismo is. I think you're well. I mean, also because they're not making Gran Turismo into a movie, they're making a kid who played Gran Turismo once into a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, lots of kids have played Forza once. Maybe one of them has a cool life story. Antonioni. Stop picking dead people. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, well, I was about to say Dario Argento then, but as we know, Dario Argento is also dead, so oh, I can't pick him. Right, Gaspar Noe killed yeah. him. <laughs> Gaspar Noe killed Dario Argento. <laughs> so, uh, whatever, Gaspar Noe is fought, so why not? This, uh, this, this conversation requires people to listen to like every one of our podcasts. <laughs> You have to really understand all the the spoiling yeah, things it's, lore we, for this we've one. We've got to. I did see someone talk. One of my friends was on a podcast um, this week. Very, very like nothing related to anything that we do. And like in the way that he sold it, he was just like, "This is not like normal podcast. Just like sort of like just in jokes and weird or something." Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's yep, yeah, yeah. That is all of my podcast. Just alienating in jokes. Oh, Thank you for calling me out like that. <laughs> I think it. <laughs> we, I can spin it. We, it encourages people to listen to the back catalog. There you go. It gets people invested. There you go. Invested. Um, <laughs> what are you this recommending? Is, uh, this is the yeah, this is the segment of the podcast where Stephen looks through his diary and <laughs> forgot to find a recommendation. <laughs> How did you know? Because it happens every week, and every week there's a little part of me that hopes that you've that you've sorted it out in advance, but then every single time <laughs> let down. Um, <sighs> but what I will you... recommend, um, I've been on, I've decided to go on like a cheap 80s action movie kick, uh, so that's what I've been doing recently, and it has been okay. a, a lot of fun. So I'm going to recommend the the best of the bunch so far, which is 1987's Miami Connection, which is <laughs> one of the best things, I was so shocked by how much fun it is. Um, cool. It starts off with like i mean all the music is like extremely like 80s like absolute banger anthem songs but like the first song is just like a song about friendship and about how friendship's gonna save the world there's another song about all the ninjas that are in the movie and that they're bikers <laughs> by day and ninjas by night as um, am i and so it's a martial arts movie but the martial art that it's centered Good. around is taekwondo which i think about it might be the only major taekwondo movie but there's also cool. a song all about taekwondo um but it's great so it's just like this super cheesy 80s action movie but it's also ends up being like the most bizarrely wholesome movie about just like the most powerful male friendship you've ever seen it's great okay. i had a blast yeah. with it that sounds fun. highly recommend um i'm gonna recommend so i will i'll give a cursory recommendation that i think is very very good to aka serial killer um but for, so this is maso adachi 1975 um japanese documentary that um ben brace benjamin recommended me but that's that's more his film than mine but it's just a very interesting documentary it like takes like true crime and distorts it and is not so it's about a serial killer an actual serial killer but it's just like footage of the place in which this happened and some dispassionate narration that's just like 
here's some things that happened and it's okay. like really freeform jazz score so it's it's quite it's hugely alienating and distancing a lot of it's about this like theory of just like that a man is built up a person built up by, by their environment um and how that presents on people and also about like impact on place it's a really interesting film but what i'm actually gonna recommend is i rewatched feston at the weekend um oh, yeah. the thomas winterberg movie um and i just it's so good, um, and I really loved it more. I also so I watched it with with my wife and, and friend AJ, and I didn't think I thought my friend AJ would really like it, but Emma really really loved it. Um, and it's it's have you have you seen Festin? No, I haven't. It is. It's it seems divisive. It is the darkest of dark comedies. Like it is it is about a very very nasty thing, and it has upsetting things in it, and it's a dogma movie, but it's the it's the only time I've seen this. I'm like, it, cause it feels built around though. It does even it breaks some of the dogma rules. So the dogma manifesto, these like constraints put on filmmakers to make a different type of film as a reaction to the Hollywoodization of even like European film. Um, these things include only handheld camera, only shot on locations, no non diegetic sound. Um, everything must like push forward, like character or plot. So very kind of like stripped down, right. aggressive filmmaking where it's all about the making of the movie. And this stripped down, just like scuzzy looking look. Um, it, if you've watched Succession at all, Succession is so obviously um, inspired by Festen. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's just this, these horrible people just breaking apart and the aggressive camera angles and movements and just like the, 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 the shoddiness of it. It just feels so combative. It feels so intentional. It feels so interesting and it forces them to make the movie in interesting ways. And just like the energy of it is so overwhelming um, that it just elevates what would be a decent enough like like black drama right. into this sense of being just like this is very very funny, very upsettingly funny, and very like just combative and nasty. And the filmmaking is so a part of that. And just it's it's so goddamn good. So I know a lot of people have seen Festen or the Celebration, um, and it's great that Thomas Vinterberg went on to make films like The Hunt and Far from the Madding Crowd and Another Round. And you start out of this just. Yeah, nasty little thing, nasty little thing. But it's it's yeah, cool, watch, it's funny, it's great. I think you'd like Winterberg. it. I do think you'd like Festin. So that's a recommendation for Vaughn as much as it is for everyone else. I know a lot right. of have watched it, but it's Excellent. a fantastic movie. All right, well, that's another episode in the book, Stephen. Mm. Uh, what have you got to plug this week? What's going on on the stacks? What's going on on the stacks? Um, so we are in Kung Feb now. Welcome to Kung Feb. Um, you can. For people that like video games, you can hear us talk about the movie Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, <laughs> um, which is a, a fun. My friend Faves on that podcast, who I bought her that movie for her 18th birthday um, as a okay. control present. <laughs> I bought her a copy of Street Fighter, the movie, and Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, and we watched them. Um, and now, many years later, we, she's talking about her experiences with Street Fighter, <laughs> Legend of Chun-Li, a bad movie that I also bought Jack a copy of. I just like to buy people a copy of that movie. It's, it's really bad. Um, but I like Street Fighter a lot. It's um, a good running joke. <laughs> yeah. So subscribers can listen to my updated thoughts on Shivers. Um, that Shivers episode is now very canonical um, for the podcast, as it in it we come up with a sign-off. And the sign-off Ooh, for the show is, is in that. Um, so I, if you I don't know why I haven't listened. I feel like I saw it, and then I, I don't know why I, I need to listen. Yeah, the Shivers episode is up. Certified five star banger. Shivers <laughs> continued. Um, I'm sure is up. Um, teeth. Um, we rewatched Teeth and talked about that. 
and this week we just recorded jack gave a list of um 10 great kung fu movies to start with awesome. great great martial arts movies in general and we did a podcast on the 36th chamber of shaolin which is a really cool movie awesome so patreon.com slash the stacks on film to get everything or just find the stacks on the twin geeks or elsewhere all great stuff sounds great i don't think i have anything to plug this week other than head on over to the twin geeks i will have infinity pool around whenever this cool. comes out um and then i don't know what else i'm doing oh yeah but um at some point i'll have a piece i'm gonna write something about uh the millennium mambo restoration which is a, a favorite movie of mine so i want to love number um and then you know whatever else is coming out i'll write about some other things soon <laughs> all right anything um it's almost it's, it's 135 i'm very tired so yeah you will tuck it out from the gran turismo you've been playing it's you're true very, you're very slow cars a lot of exhausting well, racing thank you for joining me and thank you audience for joining us um i hope that you liked white noise because we did not and until next time vaughn i'm thinking of ending this podcast excellent <laughs>